0: Hello, welcome back to the Marxism Podcast. My name is Mark Jarrett, and today I am joined by a guest, friend, fine specimen of a man, Alex Sawicki. And today we are going to talk about propaganda and the dangerous tool that it has become nowadays. Now, some people may be listening to this, may associate propaganda as something of the old from World War II with Uncle Sam posters saying, I want you, or anti capitalism revolutionary posters from the Cold War. But propaganda has, in fact, mutated into being a more refined and effective tool. And we are being bombarded with it probably more than ever before without realizing it. So, Alex, my first question to you is, when is propaganda actual propaganda? Or when is it activism, information dissemination? What is your definition of propaganda?
1: Oh, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. i just like to start off by making a very quick definition of what is what is propaganda? Yeah, and um, essentially, propaganda is a, a means by which somebody can persuade another person using using imagery or messages that bypass the part of your brain responsible for reasoning and critical thinking. What that means is, what you essentially have is a message tied to an emotional response and associated with an emotional response, and that gives it that gives it weight. That gives it um, a truth value, if you can call it that. So yes, while you're right, in World War II, it's definitely associated with those posters and the "We want you to join the U.S. Army" and of course the uh, the very racist posters we have seen uh, about the caricatures of the Nazis and of the Japanese. Um, you're right, nowadays it has taken a more sinister form, a more subtle form, and it's definitely, it's definitely an art form nowadays. It's very subtle. This is all, I have to preface all of this by saying that, um, this is all my personal opinion based on my own research that I've done and uh, observations I've made on the world around me. Um, I use as my basis for definition uh, historical context, like I do have a degree in history, so I do have a fair bit of knowledge on historical context of propaganda, so I'm just merely extrapolating what I know about the past and using it to maybe interpret what's going on today.
0: Right. And that is something I actually basically forgot to mention before. Alex does have quite a bit of experience of looking into this and research and has, in fact, written an article series on the topic of propaganda. Actually, having read some of your articles, you talked about an app called The Ground Game uh, that was used in the Trump campaign and Brexit. Would you like to explain to viewers what the app was and the, the threat it could be to democracy?
1: Right. So this isn't my discovery. Uh, I was just... Um... My article was basically a a republished version of of another article that I saw, and then I just added my own own flair to it, if you will. Uh, But essentially, the Ground Game app was allegedly this um, app that could be installed on a smartphone. And what it allowed campaign staff to do was... Okay, I have to take a step back for a second. So, back in 2010 or thereabouts, there was this guy doing a PhD, he was essentially his research centered on using Facebook data to compile psychological profiles on people. Um, what he would do is he would take your likes, uh, your, your likes, your dislikes, the uh, number of friends you have, uh, the number of photos you have, and using that and only that, uh, develop a psychological profile that was very accurate and more accurate the more data you pumped into it. So for example, If you plugged in uh, 50 data points, i.e. likes, into this model, it could know you or your preferences better than your best friend. Uh, 100 likes, it was equivalent to um, your parents. How They would know you better than your parents, and at maybe 150 to 200 likes, it could read you and understand you uh, better than your partner, your spouse. Which, uh, in itself, is interesting, but also kind of scary when you think about what it was used for. And uh, what it was used for, part of what this research was used for, unwittingly to the uh, the man who who discovered it was, for political purposes.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's what's scary about it is it can, with creating these apps, it can basically collect any type of information and know you better than anyone else and send a message to you that resonates with you better than a person probably could, right?
1: Right, yeah, so how this data was used, and it was used, mind you, without the permission of the people uh, who were being studied, uh, it was pumped into an algorithm which predicted a person's political leanings. And that was compiled with voter rolls, which provided campaign staff with geographical maps of where people lived and how they were going to vote. So instead of having demographics based on age, gender, race, or occupation, or class, you now had demographics based on where somebody fell on the political spectrum. And what this app allowed was campaign staff, door-to-door campaign staff, to know exactly who would be receptive to political messages before they even got there. Hmm. And who was on the fence. And who could be persuaded? That is
0: right, um, and I guess that's kind of the scary thing about modern era propaganda. For probably a lack of a better word, is that it's it is used by governments and and companies and and whoever else. But now propaganda can be produced by an individual, any individual with a computer, um, and we've seen that with uh, the whole thing with Russia and meddling in the American election or trying to create divide amongst public opinion in. For instance, the park, this this uh, last week's Parkland shooting where Russian bots took to Twitter and, uh, you know, spouted a bunch of rhetoric about oh, yeah. the gun control issue oh, in the States. Sure. As an and, example. Uh,
1: I was hoping to have to I was hoping to be able to do this uh, podcast without having to say the T word. But yes, the Trump campaign, the Trump campaign in 2016 was using very shady marketing tactics in its in its campaign using the ground game app and as well uh, Google Analytica or this sorry this Facebook analytics tool back to your original question sorry can you remind me what it was the original question
0: basically uh, any individual can take to alright oh, right, the right, computer right, yes. and um, so the key to propaganda is that it needs an audience uh,
1: a single person from a computer can't really do much uh, because there's no organized plan there's no overarching campaign there's no Organizational structure and because of that it lacks teeth Mm. so you or I could go on Facebook and post you know whatever we wanted to post and That wouldn't really count as propaganda because We are not forcing other people to look at it necessarily. Um, It's a sort of a clickbait thing What is interesting though is that the Russians have a part to play in this and this is very interesting because there have been allegations that um, there are Russian Twitter bots out there, and they're probably true, uh, even though we have no real way of proving that, the tools that you or I have, um, but certainly certainly the NSA or the FBI probably has those tools. Anyway, so these Twitter bots exist. I'm almost certain that there are also fake social media profiles controlled by the Russians or some other third-party entity paid by the Russians, and these bots, people people are, are, are focused on these bots, and they're saying that they operate on behalf of the alt-right, or the ultra-right-wing, and they spout this rhetoric that's very hateful and divisive, and while I would agree and say that 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 is true, I would say that something that is probably often overlooked, is that these bots are also operating on the extreme left. And so you'd ask yourself, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Why would the Russians ostensibly pay Twitter bot handlers to foment hatred on the left and the right? And this 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 is an interesting question. It's something that I've sort of grappled with. Until I came upon an interview by an ex-KGB operative. Uh, he was lecturing at a university in the 80s about some of his activities. And he was saying that part of, part of propaganda's job is not only to persuade, but to destabilize, destabilize a foreign government or a people or an organization. So take our examples from history. Um, propaganda used in World War II was used to demoralize soldiers so they would no longer have the will to fight. Propaganda during the Cold War was meant to extol the virtues of capitalism and and make communism look very bad by comparison. And the ultimate goal of this was to get one side to win and the other side to acquiesce out of fatigue or to lose lose heart, mm-hmm. as you will. But in this case, there are Russians that are manipulating both sides. And for that, I can only say there's one real reason, and it goes back to the lecture by the KGB officer. He said that there's a very important aspect, and that is that if you can, if you can sow discord among a population, if you can demoralize the bulk of a population, the moderates, the moderates, you can, in effect, destroy the connecting fibers of that society. You can make people lose faith in the organizations and social infrastructures that are in place, hmm. thus sowing discord. Now, many people would say that the United States' greatest strength is its diversity and its
0: Unity, Unity.
1: okay. It's called the United States of America. Right. Because they operate as one. America was at its weakest during the Civil War because it was divided. And that is, I think, what the Russians are going for. They want the American people to have the left be so far removed from the right that they're not talking with each other at all. Losing faith in traditional community groups like churches, police, government, um, even the Boy Scouts of America. The purpose is to divide, right? The purpose, the, purpose, the bottom line purpose, yes, is to divide. Divide and conquer. Though. Not conquer. Not conquer. Russia will never invade the United States. That's tantamount to suicide. No, not um, conquer
0: in that sense, but perhaps conquer as in basically play them in a way where, you know, persuade their message to them. And we see that also with Russia Today and Sputnik News, right?
1: Yeah. See, I'll get I'll get to Russian news in a second, but I think the purpose of this is to weaken the United States and its allies to the point where they do not have the will to fight, or the strength to fight. Should Russia do something on the world stage that is unsavory, like invading a small Eastern European country, if you can if you can alienate the United States from the rest of NATO, if you can alienate half of the U.S. population from the other half you have a fairly good shot of invading a Baltic country or even the Ukraine, all of Ukraine, or Poland, and uh, setting up buffer states as, as we had in the, in the Soviet communist times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this, the, the Russian news is an interesting entity. Then this goes back to my earlier point where I say propaganda is a real art form. You'll notice that some of the most popular English language media coming out of Russia is Russian television, RT. A lot of people are really obsessed with Russian television. They think it's a balanced perspective, something they don't get from CNN or Fox or any other news stations, and certainly not Al Jazeera. And to that I say, maybe. Maybe it is more balanced. But you'll find in their criticisms, in their arguments, they are never critical of the Russian government. And that is a telltale sign that it is a vehicle of propaganda. You'll find that they're very critical of the United States, they're very critical of Israel, and they're very critical of the West. And they mix that with enough fact. They don't only have political content, mind you. They have nature shows. They have how-to videos. They have interviews with um, authors about popular works of fiction. Just the other day, um, they had an interview with a man who produces handbags for a living. So they can mix it with enough of that stuff to make it seem like a legitimate news source. So to the untrained eye, it appears as though the RT is the best news around. And that is how it's masterfully done. It's masterfully done. RT is a masterful creation of propaganda.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like there's been a lot of thinking that's gone in on the Russian side in creating something like Russia Today or Sputnik News. Why doesn't or has the the West done something similar? I mean, of course, there's Voice of America, but is it, it's, it's not nearly as effective as Russia's methods, I suppose.
1: Well, the thing about Russia is that very little American media actually penetrates into the Russian news because of the level of control from the government of what can and cannot be broadcast. And that is why the Americans, hard as they might try, uh, will never be able to disseminate their own propaganda in Russia. Not that that is an effective tool, mind you. America has other tools at its disposal to assert its dominance in the world. It has its military strength and economic strength, so a tool like propaganda is typically reserved as a form of asymmetrical warfare. Not warfare. That's a loaded term. But it is for a person or an entity that is coming from a position of weakness or perceived weakness.
0: Okay. And uh, that is why it
1: comes from. It comes from a country like Russia.
0: Right. So, what are some uh, modern examples of propaganda?
1: Well, Mark, that's a really good question. And this is
0: obviously open to interpretation.
1: You have to understand that there are two main forms of propaganda there's white propaganda and there's black propaganda. And it has nothing to do with race, it has everything to do with the content.
0: It's a good distinction, yeah.
1: White propaganda is typically denoted or connotated with uh, messages that are meant to extol the virtues of a particular idea or group or organization. No, so examples of that are messages sponsored by the government of Canada. So you'll see often when you go to movie theater or when you're watching television you'll see ads about how to quit smoking on television. Now this is classic propaganda from the government because they obviously want you to cease smoking cigarettes. Now, you might say, but Alex, this isn't a bad thing. We shouldn't smoke cigarettes. They're terrible for you. And I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. And that's part of the reason why propaganda has a bad rap. And that is because people don't know that it can be used for good. Um, That being said, good white propaganda can also be used for ill. Um, Say, for example, you have um, under your control... A small nation in the Caribbean, you are a dictator living there and you want your citizens to be content with the state of affairs so you will blast them with white propaganda telling them how good the country is and how everything is just okay and they have nothing to worry about. Uh, so that is the dark side of white propaganda now. Black propaganda on the other hand is messages, images, expressions tied to making Another entity, organization, or country will look bad. And that's often called uh, negative publicity, if you want to call it that. And this is where things get tricky. This is where things also in the past have gotten a little bit racist. So during the Second World War, and I always bring this up when I talk about propaganda. Dr. Seuss actually started his career as a propagandist for the United States. And he drew quite a few cartoons depicting the Japanese in not too flattering terms as slant-eyed bucktooth um little men, little yellow men who want to come and do bad things to America. Now be that as it may, black propaganda exists today. It's quite transparent and it exists in the form that I mentioned earlier with the Twitter bots operating on the left and right side of the spectrum trying to make the other look bad and in the process alienating alienating the moderates other forms of black propaganda could be Fox News, could be CNN. They fight each other more often than they fight anybody else. You'll see you'll see instances of propaganda almost everywhere you go nowadays. I would say most advertising, most advertising by companies is propaganda because they are trying to sell you a product based on a series of images or slogans or music that are intended to substitute reasonable, rational, founded truth for their vision of what the truth is. So for example, Maybelline will sell you makeup products on the television, and while you and I probably won't buy them, uh, many impressionable young people will see those commercials and think, wow, these products will make me look like the person in the video. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, the person in the video or in the in the ad is not actually wearing Maybelline makeup. They're wearing professional designer quality makeup that costs thousands of dollars. So, in a way, they're using a lie to sell the truth. And you can extend that to many movies being produced nowadays. The most egregious example I can think of is this this abominable 1517 to Paris. It is so blatantly a piece of propaganda. <laughs> any any war movie produced in the last 10 years about the war in Afghanistan and Iraq is a blatant piece of propaganda. American Sniper. American Sniper comes to mind. Yeah. Zero Dark Thirty comes to mind. And keep in mind, I mean, we are not, I mean, we, the Americans are not unique in this aspect. I mean, every country produces war movies in which they look like the heroes. For instance, China has a very funny policy that it's very easy to make a, sorry, I'll back up. It's very difficult to make a movie in China, because you need to get the approval of the government to make the movie. Now, there's an exception to this rule. You can make a movie about just about anything you want, so long as it portrays the Japanese in an unfavorable light, Mm. and the setting is World War II. Really? Yes.
0: And I assume you can't really do anything, say anything bad about the Chinese government, right?
1: I'm not so sure about that. I'm sure there are certain lines, lines that you cannot cross. However you can make a movie about equality among the sexes or lgbt rights so long as the setting is world war 2 and the bad guys are japanese and they look like monsters and the chinese actors are the heroes who cut them to pieces
0: really yes hmm. it's it's very
1: interesting yeah around the world what 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 constitutes local propaganda
0: well film obviously has an extremely powerful effect as you mentioned before imagery and creating a narrative that kind of fits into what probably people want to hear or want to see. I think that's probably one of the key aspects of propaganda is finding an audience, as you said, to do that.
1: Yeah, film is an interesting beast because ever since it came about, it was believed that it would be the key tool for propaganda. And that was before the internet was invented. Now I would say the internet is the key tool for disseminating propaganda. Yeah, But back when movies were the thing, for propaganda it was highly effective at persuading people one way or another to adopt a certain view and many of the famous filmmakers from the world war ii era who are now recognized as being very talented and very famous had their start in the propaganda industry
0: Hmm. Um, what are some examples
1: well lenny reifenstall comes to
0: mind immediately Right. Well, there's that recent Netflix documentary, too, about the six American directors. I forget what it was called. And they were originally war uh, filmers and they became the biggest directors in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but I I can certainly see that having a connection. I mean, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Yeah. Mm. The problem with film, the problem with film is that it is so easy to create a lie with film because film is in itself a lie. It is a series of images played in quick succession in an order that is not necessarily logical, and the main driver of this is an illusion. It's all to get you to believe what is happening on the screen is real. Now, what do you mean? Uh, Doesn't it involve actors? Don't they have to actually be present? And I say, yeah, sure, to a degree, but even when you're making a documentary about something that did take place, you cannot actually film the event because it happened in the past Mm -hmm. you have to recreate what you saw or what you heard or what the documents show and in so doing you are changing the meaning you are interpreting the evidence for the viewer in a way that they cannot interpret it for themselves and the final product as good as it can be truthful and true to the original narrative will never be a complete picture of the events of the past right so think of the best documentary you can think of the best the most true and i will still tell you that it is incomplete and even if it's only for the pedantic reason that it cannot be debated or refuted you cannot make you cannot make a youtube channel that refutes documentaries because how would you cite how would you cite errors You could say, oh, you know, in the 32nd minute, there was a a scene where this happened and it actually didn't happen. Well, okay, fine. But that's not a good forum for debating ideas. I think the written word, the written word is is far superior for debating ideas than film.
0: And uh, what written words would you say nowadays that shows it better than film? Or do people just not look at or read really? Well it's often a bad joke among
1: academics that um, they're just waiting for the next the next edition of their books to hit shelves for them to finally reach their multimillionaire goals. And I say it's a bad joke because many of these academic books that get published don't do not sell more than a thousand copies. Hmm. That is in itself a travesty. Um, because these books are highly highly valuable for anybody who wants to get a complete picture on anything i mean there are books being published now on subjects so specific that i mean you can literally find anything you're looking for Mm -hmm. it's probably out there the problem is it doesn't sell right nobody's interested in stories about or not stories but academic accounts of events that happened in the past or even analyses of current affairs being published in books nowadays, if it doesn't have fancy graphics or images attached to it, I'm, I'm, nobody's really that interested in that interested in them.
0: Right. Well, would you say as an example, this podcast, a propaganda tool?
1: That's interesting. Radio, and I would classify this as radio. Radio has typically been used as a source of propaganda. However, however... It is much easier to facilitate an intelligent discussion through the spoken word, listening to a podcast or a radio broadcast, just because your attention is focused on only one sense when you're listening to a podcast. It's just your ears that are being engaged. And that allows the other parts of your brain to actually think critically about what it is you're hearing. And I think that anybody listening to your podcast would be smart to point out that yes this could be propaganda however i would interject and say yes we are we are trying to persuade you of a position and that is that propaganda exists it's pervasive and it's all around you Mm. you need to use your own critical thinking to sort out what what if if what i am saying is the truth or if what i am saying is trying to further some cause that i have not yet i have not yet
0: specified all right and i think on that note we are going to end this episode alex thanks a lot for coming on that was more than interesting and if you want to follow the marxism podcast you can follow us on facebook twitter like share subscribe do all that good stuff that helps me out that would be greatly appreciated and in the meantime we are out of here